Hey everyone, John here. Just a quick word of warning. Uh, we will be spoiling this film in its entirety, so if you have not seen this film and you don't want it spoiled for you, uh, just hit pause real quick and go and watch the movie and then come back and enjoy the show. Thank you. I take this very seriously. It's a gift to be the best man. They say that once in your lifetime someone comes along whom you're absolutely meant to be with. Everything feels great. Stars are aligned. Body and spirit are in balance. For my friend Jonathan Traeger, that person was me. Welcome to, oh my god, a new episode of Surviving Chick Flicks. I am dying. And so am I. And the healthy one, Joseph, is at home, uh, resting like a normal person. Meanwhile, we've been spending the last two months of the year killing ourselves. Not intentionally, just happened. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that uh, 2021 has kind of kicked our butts a little bit. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, we did decide to do a show. And the show at the same time. <clears throat> and if you can't tell, none, neither of us are healthy. <laughs> oh. and, also that, and also that hurts. Because I've coughed so much in the last two weeks, I have basically a, bru- a bruised rib. Merry Christmas. <laughs> but that just goes to show how dedicated we are. That does not our editing and release schedule. Which, by the way, Correct. I hope lis- listeners, I hope you enjoyed uh, the final <laughs> Halloween episode and the entire N- November episode in December. You're welcome. <coughs> and can we also address that as I was editing those final two episodes, both times we said. The episode was going to be Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. And look at us now. <laughs> still not doing that movie. But we promise that um, at some point in 2022, it will happen. Um, yeah. And and hopefully pretty soon because uh, our guest went, is going from playing Buddy the Elf to Professor Harold Hill. So we kind of need to nail him down pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to do something for the end of the year so everybody enjoys their um, one Christmas episode that they're going to get. We had a whole month planned, and then every week we got to, you know, Thursday, and it's just like, are we even doing an episode this week? And it's like, no. But uh, we are doing a Christmas movie? Kind of? Okay, as much as Die Hard is a Christmas movie, this is a Christmas no, movie. No, I can make more of a case for Die Hard than this. It that happens one's... in winter. Okay, so this could also be a January 17th episode. But anyway, if they haven't and they're already. Buying, they're buying a Christmas gift at the beginning of the episode. I mean, okay, fair, I mean, but. Well, and in Lethal Weapon, a hooker commits suicide after doing some coke to the sounds of Jingle Bell Rock. I don't really count that as a Christmas movie. 
But we're not talking about Die Hard or Lethal Weapon. Sammy, what did you have me turn on three times and be physically in the room for? This week's film is <clears throat> and also affectionately known as the movie that started it all. Because I, to some degree, would like to credit this movie with my love of rom-coms. Now, it doesn't, it can't take all the credit, but in large part. All right. Well, why don't we pause, play the trailer, and then we'll unpack all of that as we sort of discuss this movie that I totally watched. Oh, I'm sorry. Tell you what, buy me a cup of coffee the years. You really did come that easy. Do you believe in fate? I never thought about it. Will you get me your phone number? Don't think about it. Just say the first thing that pops into your head. You have beautiful eyes. Second thing that pops into your head. You have beautiful eyes. Come on now, stop it. Is this a date yet? Just checking. Favorite movie? The correct answer is Cool Hand Luke. Favorite sexual position? Favorite New York moment? This one's climbing the charts. I'm flattered. Maybe you should give me your phone number. That was an accident. There are no accidents. This is wrong. You don't have the most incredible night of your life and then leave it all to chance, do you? See this book? I do. Tonight when I get home, I'm going to write my name and number inside it. And then first thing tomorrow morning, I'm going to sell it to a used bookstore. What happens if I meet somebody before I find it? You won't. That's just crazy. Hey. It's Sarah. My name's Sarah. Getting married in three days. Why would you risk your relationship just to search for some old pipe dream? You could enter this account number in the computer and just tell me your name. When you put it that way, no. You cannot be over here. You cannot come over right. to this right. side of the counter. This is really important. Oh, boy, did them. it again. Cross the line. I'm telling you right now, British women do not age well. Years ago, you know, she probably looked like baby spice, but now she could look like... Old Spice. I'm thinking about this mystery guy I met a million and a half hours ago. And it's possible that I threw the whole thing away in a moment of destiny. Destiny. I need a, an old address for Sarah Thomas. And if you want it, come and get it. You're my hero. You're out there, man, and you're making it happen. I'm looking for a Jonathan Traeger. You must be late. Late for what? The wedding. Hey, wait! John Cusack, Kate Beckinsale. When love feels like magic, you call it destiny. When destiny has a sense of humor, you call it serendipity. They say that once in your lifetime, someone comes along whom you're absolutely meant to be with. For my friend, that person was me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Serenity, starring Nathan Fillion, Alan Tudyk. Oh, wait, wrong movie. Oh, my God. Wrong movie. <laughs> Serendipity, starring John Cusack, Kate Beckinsale, Jeremy Piven, Bridget Moynihan, Eugene Levy, John Corbett, and Molly Shannon, directed by Peter Chelsom. Uh, let's do what we always do. Sammy, when was the first time you saw this movie? Um, shockingly, for our end-of-the-year episode... I have no idea. Um, yeah, I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't even, like, I couldn't get it down to a year or a time in my life when I saw this film. Um, I don't know if I was in high school or college. Um, and now that I think about it, I'm not even sure why I watched the film. It might have been the name. 
Um, and I am, I mean, I am low-key kind of a John Cusack fan. Um, I don't love all of his films, but, and generally, I will say John Cusack plays John Cusack in every single movie he's in. That is 100% fair. But I also don't hate it. And I'm definitely a Jeremy Piven fan. Um, so he was, he's a fun addition to this film. Um, I honestly think All he's right. a little bit underrated. But, um, which... I'm okay, sure let, let me... I, I want to address that now. Now that, now that you brought that up. I, too, am a Jeremy Piven fan. One of my favorite films is PCU, which is the time that um, someone let Ellis from Die Hard weird coincidence, direct a college comedy in which Jeremy Piven is the hero and and David Spade is the villain, and I absolutely love the PC nightmare that is Entourage. I love Ari Gold. I also think Jeremy Piven is a terrible person and possibly knows where John Cusack buried a body, which is the only logical re- explanation I have on why Jeremy Piven is in so many John Cusack movies. Wait, okay, hold on. We have to circle back to this really quick. First mm-hmm. of all, I'm also a massive fan of Entourage, and Ari mm-hmm. Gold was most definitely my favorite character. Despite the fact that he's a pretty terrible person, but he was also the best. Um, oh. Why do you say he's a terrible person? Uh, he has had so many accusations thrown in. And him, uh, not necessarily sexual harassment, just being an absolute pain in the ass to work with. In fact, so much so that David Mamet, also a pain in the ass to work with, sued Jeremy Piven for breach of contract for not being in the show he was contractually obligated to be in. He's just got a reputation of being an absolute dick. Which is why he is so good as Harry Gold. Yeah, and I guess that could be fair. Yeah. And I don't care how old the movie is. It could be something from the 80s where a baby Jeremy Piven shows up or something in, made in the last five years. Every time he pop, comes on screen, in my head, I just hear him screaming, Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway, back to the original question because we got a little bit off topic. Yeah, so I don't really know, but like I said, this is kind of what started it all. Um, so I this is the movie to blame. Right. I mean, I think I've always loved romantic comedies and romantic films, but when I was younger, probably in middle school, I went through a phase where I just was not actually shockingly was not that into them and went to went through a phase where I really just didn't think that I liked them very much. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing this movie and this was the movie that reminded me why I liked them and then got me completely on track um, with the genre as a whole. I love the concept of the film, and so much so that when I went to New York a few years ago, um, I went with a couple of friends, and they were doing something. I can't even remember what it was, and so I actually took the trek by myself, and it wasn't very far. It was was just a few blocks um, to Serendipity, the shop, just to go in and see it. Now, you got to, like, plan way in advance to eat there, but... I definitely went out of my way. I mean, I don't blame you. Um, 
kind of, I don't know why because this doesn't really it relates, but it doesn't. Uh, I went to visit my aunt and uncle and cousin when I graduated high school, and they lived in um, Virginia at the time. But they took me down to DC, and for like we did the one day tour, and they were like, "What's the one thing you want to see?" And I'm like, "The Watergate." I don't know. It just triggered that memory. That is exactly something you would do. There is nothing to it. It is just a hotel. There was no. I mean, why? Why would you want attention brought on on you for that? But I, did I buy a T-shirt? Yes, I did. So all I bought was a container of hot chocolate because I had to have something from the store, and I really did want to eat there. And if I ever go back, I'm comfortable. <coughs> but yeah. Oh, ever since I, mean, I found out there was that the shop featured in the film actually existed it was definitely like a bucket list item well i mean i went to guero's because it was in death proof uh the tarantino movie and did i buy a shirt while i was there absolutely i did because that's who i am as a person apparently <laughs> so anyway okay, john so when did you first see this film all right so we're recording this on sunday the 26th uh and so i'm gonna go with uh, one day last week, and then another day last week, and then uh, an hour ago. <laughs> so, and I, and I and I know the question is when it was the first time I watched it, and I want to think it was last week, but whenever I checked this movie into Letterboxd, I had a score on there, which means I possibly saw this movie before, or I keep getting it confused with Must Love Dogs. Because at first, whenever you suggested, I was like, I don't remember. I don't remember Christmas and that. I just remember Ashley Judd. <laughs> but his movies run together. Like I said, he he's got he's got like a he's got a niche. Not that he like never goes outside of it. Obviously, he's done things like High Fidelity and you know, but where he, he played John Cusack. Right, he has a niche. Now, regardless of whether or not he gets outside outside of it, I agree with you. He plays John Cusack in everything he does, but. I don't know. Something about it, I don't mind. Like, well, and also, I gross point blank and high fidelity. That one two punch made me a late '90s, early 2000s John Cusack fan. And of course, you know, I went backwards and saw things like Say Anything, which I know you're not the world's biggest fan of, but I I love that movie. And of course, classics like Better Off Dead. There's there is somewhere. After this movie, not maybe maybe not specifically this movie, but sometime after it, where John Cusack kind of dropped off the face of the planet and is now doing the same kind of direct-to-streaming crap that Bruce Willis, Nick Cage, and um, Steven Seagal are doing. <coughs> and I think I can tell you the exact movie. Uh, have you heard of the movie Cell? It sounds familiar, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. All right. So um, Samuel L. Jackson and John Cusack collaborated on a Stephen King joint called 1408, which actually is not a bad movie. I actually kind of think that's maybe the last great Cusack movie. Yeah, oddly enough, it's one that I own. Yeah. I don't own a lot of horror movies, but. I am shocked. Anyway, um, so, but Cell was another Stephen King property, and it was a zombie uh, story that King wrote that was basically his cranky old man slash 
Maynard James Keenan impression, of which he told the world he despises cell phones. That's a joke for, like, three people. Um, But they made it into a movie, and Samuel L. Jackson is in it, and it was, like, trashed. Like, it's... It's whatever Homer as Krusty the Clown was punching in that episode of The Simpsons as a child was crying, please stop, he's already dead. That was what the critics did to that movie. And like, I've never heard anyone defend it. <coughs> and after that, it was just kind of like you would randomly see John Cusack pop up in something that you've never heard of. And, you know, he used to be great. I mean, like, he was in stuff like Con Air. He was, like, you know, the cool nerdy guy in Con Air. And now he's just in direct, you know, direct to streaming hell. And it kind of, and it's like the last cool thing he did was, like, earlier this year where uh, some guy from Barstool was trying to give him crap for wearing a, uh, a white Sox hat when he's been a lifelong Cubs fan. And even though he was just there to support his city, and it's just like, John Cusack is still better than someone from Barstool. So, I will say this, okay? Mm-hmm. Kind of in his defense, and by the way, feel free to completely disagree with me on this. The, his, his, like, niche, the type of film he was doing, I'm not going to say it's dead, because the genre as a whole is definitely not dead. But I think it's changed. I don't think that the... You know, early mid '90s and then early 2000s rom-coms exist anymore like they used to. I mean, maybe once in a blue moon, but romantic comedies have kind of changed. And I, 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 to a degree, I think that they lean more heavily to the comedy aspect than they do to the romance. Not that it doesn't, Which... it doesn't exist, or they've kind of altered into the sort of teen romance side of things. Um, yeah. Which is fine. Like, I, there is a place for those films, too, and I love them. Mm-hmm. But I do kind of miss, like, the closest I get to that feeling, and it's and it's still an entirely different genre, by the way, is Nicholas Sparks. Because those aren't, those aren't even really romantic comedies, because none of them are comedies. Um, but that's something that's... It, right. That's something that's, that's kind of stayed consistent, but I don't... You know, you don't see the, like, When Harry Met Sally's anymore or the serendipities or the, um, you know, While You Were Sleeping or, um, you know, the list goes on. Yeah, well, and, I mean, I totally, I don't totally disagree with you there. I actually am kind of there with you. Like, you don't see a lot of, and, and glad you brought up While You Were Sleeping because this movie was written by the same screenwriter that Which, wrote that stay movie. Stay tuned for next year because I do think we need to cover that film because I love it. I, I kind of agree with you. Um, but I'm mostly talking about the John Cusack movie where John Cusack is not just in the movie. He's a producer. He's You can tell he's handpicked the soundtrack because, you know, I know he didn't do, necessarily do that on Say Anything, but that soundtrack has, like, Red Hot Chili Peppers and that Peter Gabriel song that you know, we all kind of got sick of for a while. And then stuff like uh, Gross Point Blank. It's a comedy about a hitman, but the entire soundtrack, with the exception of Guns N' Roses and like one Motorhead song, is like all 80s, like new wave and post-punk stuff and actual punk. And then High Fidelity is like the hipster 
you know, soundtrack. And I was, I was honestly kind of watching that mo- this movie with that lens, and I was just like, this music's kind of weak. But, you know, to me, whenever John Cusack made what I considered a John Cusack movie, it, it, had, a, it had a totally different feel. Because this was back before I was really... I'm not saying I'm into rom-coms, because to me, all film is on the same playing field sometimes. But he was making the kind of quote-unquote chick flicks that guys gravitated towards. Like, I think more guys like Say Anything as a rom-com than women. I think more guys like High Fidelity, because on some level, we want to be Lloyd Dobler, we want to be uh, Rob Gordon, even though they're both really terrible people, kind of. Right, it's something you can relate to. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Do we want to start with a brief synopsis for those of you who have just tuned in for this episode and haven't watched it, which I don't know why they, you do that. But. Also, they were already warned before they got to this point. Also, if this is your first episode, maybe go back and listen to a different one. Just, to, you know, maybe don't start here. Great. And nothing against this episode. I'm sure what we're about to do is amazing. It's just, you know, I'd rather you have a rapport with us by by the time you get here. But you know, I'm right, not going to so, argue. Yeah. All right. So did I type up a, a synopsis for this movie? No, I didn't. So I'm going to do this from memory. You should be a little bit more terrified than what you are. <laughs> All right. So John Cusack plays Jonathan and Kate Beckinsale plays Sarah. They are two people that meet in a department store trying to buy a pair of gloves. But alas, the store just has the one pair. And after a really weird exchange with a random customer about a sex change operation, the other customer just gives up. And the pair, and I'm still not clear which one bought the gloves. But anyway, the gloves are in their possession. And the two of them go out for ice cream, even though they both say that they're in relationships. Through the course of the evening, the two end up having an amazing first date. Kate Beckinsale's character decides, instead of, I don't know, continuing to a second date and seeing where things progress, she makes the world's shittiest scavenger hunt in which they let fate decide whether or not they should be together. He writes his number on a $5 bill, and she gives it to a vendor, and if the bill comes back to her, it's meant to be. And she writes her name and phone number in a copy of, of course, he would go with Love in the Time of Cholera. And she sells it to a bookstore. And if it comes back to him, it was meant to be. And then seven years pass where he is now engaged to Haley, played by Bridget Moynihan, who is the perfect fiance, allegedly, according to the... uh, best man speech given by Jeremy Piven and she is off in LA as a therapist and is engaged to insufferable world music star Lars played by John Corbett who knows better the universe starts sending the pair signs that before Jonathan's marriage and before her own marriage they have to figure out who each other are and determine who they're really supposed to be with that's the movie I would say that's pretty much it in a nutshell so as I was doing my synopsis, uh, I have my TV on and my Roku is on uh, the screensaver. 
and it uh, started recommending me a movie you threatened me with, uh, hol- uh, hol- uh, Holotones or something. Oh, Mistletones? Mistletones? Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> want to know how you hacked into my, my Roku. You should, you should listen to your Roku. It knows what it's talking about. That movie is gold. No, it does not. You know what? And I'm, I'm not even ashamed to admit this because everyone has their guilty pleasures. That is a repeat movie for me. Like that's it. That is that is on my Christmas rotation pretty much every year. Is it a good movie? No. By no means, no. You know, like it's it's not a great movie. Tori Spelling should not act. No offense, but she should not act. However, it's been kind of good because I've actually watched movies that used to be my holiday rotation, but the past few years I've run out of time because, mm. you know, just time. So, like, I like to watch the original Santa Claus, which I actually did do this year. I like to watch the Polar Express. I like to watch, um, as Allison Farr, shout out if she's listening, uh, mentioned on her Instagram. You, you mean McGee? Yes, Allison McGee. You um, probably credit her, you know, her married name. Yeah. That's what I meant. The only real A Christmas Carol, which is the Patrick Stewart version. Um, wait, 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 wait. Wait, what? I didn't see this. What? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Mystery Movie Mondays was a, um, a image from that version of A Christmas Carol, and that was her guess, and she mentioned it being the only real version of A Christmas Carol, and that is true. I Excuse me, madams. There are three versions of A Christmas Carol, none of which are the Patrick Stewart version. George C. Scott... Michael Caine and the Muppets and Bill fucking Murray would like a conversation with both of you. And they are all incorrect. incorrect Because the Patrick Stewart version is the best version. (laughs) Look, I love Patrick Stewart, you know, as much as the next Trekkie, but again, George C. Scott, the Muppets, Michael Caine, and Bill Murray. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. You're all wrong. (laughs) <laughs> okay, that's fine. You can just sit over there in your wrongness and be wrong. You know you can't quote that until you've seen the episode. And I'm going to keep quoting it, and then one day when I see the episode, it'll happen. Uh, uh, and you'll no longer be able to say that. No, because then I'll just go, have you finished the series yet? Um... <clears throat> Anyway, so that's like what's in my and I'm I think I'm oh like Elf and The Grinch, which I always watch a Jim Carrey version, um, and that's my personal favorite version. So those are like my regular <coughs> Christmas movie rotations, and then I have I try to watch new Hallmark movies every year, but then I have the ones that I like that I love to go back to. The one that we did last year, which is technically a Lifetime movie, The Love at the Christmas Table, which, mm. incidentally, I've not watched this year. That's a big one for me. I really love that film. Um, and then there's another one called Snowden that maybe one year we'll do because... Um, Snow yeah, Day? Is Chevy Chase in that? No, it's called Snowed In. Incidentally, Snowed if y'all in. for anyone who listens to Deck the Hallmark, which is a fantastic podcast I highly recommend, um, that's one of their, like, the movies that they're very high on, and um, even the person who despises 
Hallmark movies actually likes that movie. Um, And there was a new one that came out this year, by the way, that they say is probably the best one that they've seen, like, ever. Please tell me it was the one with Bruce Campbell or the one with Joey Pants. No, it was neither. And and I I will quote Dan directly. Um, this is the closest to a film that you could see in the theaters that he has ever seen Hallmark do. Wow. So there you go. Um, That's either a high bar for Hallmark or a low bar for cinema. One of the two. <laughs> yeah, um, but then Mistletones and... Um, there's this other one. It's an ABC family one called Holiday in Handcuffs. It's really stupid. Um, it's like Oh, I'm aware ad. of that. I'm aware yeah, of that movie. Yeah, it's like an ad for Stockholm Syndrome. Um, but it's also fantastic and has Melissa Joan Hart and um, Slater yeah. um, in it. And uh, it's one of the first films that got me into those like cheesy made-for-TV movies. So, okay. anyway. So, the film that we're supposed to be talking about. Alright, so, I gotta be honest. I I don't hate this movie. I just want to put that out there. But there is something about this movie that my brain will not let me pay attention to this movie. Because I had it on three times, and there are scenes that will never leave my brain. Like, meeting Eugene Levy's character in the in the shop is always going to be be in my brain but even today on the third watch i'm like i don't remember this scene when did this happen like there i just i don't know why my brain would not let me ever focus on this movie and i tried i really did try and you know i put up with some shit like no one was dead the entire time in this this (laughs) movie but i don't know i just I just couldn't connect with it. So whenever you said, and I'm just going to do the inside baseball thing. Whenever you said, I hope you took notes, my first thought was, oh, fuck. I was really depending on her. It's not really, I cannot blame you. I love this movie. I was looking forward to doing this movie. And my first watch through, which really I only went back to where I fell asleep and watched the rest of it today. um, Mm. I fell asleep. Good, good. So, and it's not because I'm not invested in what's happening. It's just I've seen the film before, and you know, it's been a really long year. Um, it's been a really long month. It's it's been a really long year and a really short holiday season. Shockingly enough, mm-hmm. so um, I I I honestly think that was just mm-hmm. like it, it. We needed to take a break. Um, we did, <laughs> and also, there's not a lot to this movie it is and and i don't necessarily mean that in a negative light like i i mean it as in this movie is kind of easy to get through it's not complex and it's not no, a long movie no it's like 90 minutes of people running around looking for books looking for names for some reason a uh you know pure mood cd entered the chat at one point because uh, I don't know why. Uh, were Because this came out, what, 2001, 2003. Did people still really listen to that kind of world music back then? I don't remember. Yeah, I have no idea. Somebody emailed us the answer to that question. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not an overly complex plot. But that's kind of what I like about it. But at the same time, 
the story itself is not unique, but I'm not going to say that. The movie is not unique in the sense of it very much follows like the traditional, um, you know, the traditional tropes and the traditional um, timeline of a rom-com. But I absolutely love the concept from second one. Like, I love Kate Beckinsale's character. And I kind of think what she, I kind of think what she did was genius. And this whole idea that they spent the rest of the film, like trying to figure out who the other person was, which, by the way, is a massive plot hole that we're gonna get to um, in a minute. Okay. Yeah, it's one of a couple massive uh, plot holes, but they don't well, really, I... they don't really sink the movie for me. But I sort of love just, I don't know, I like their meet cute. I, I like the meet cute too, but I also don't think it's that weird that I don't think it's as big of a plot hole that, you know, they can't figure out who the other person is because one, they live on two different coasts and B, the story all takes place before social media. No, I mean, that's not what I mean. <coughs> that big a plot hole. I, I guess I'll just get into it. It's fine. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's the end of the film, but to me, the ma- the actual massive issue with it is when she writes down, like, I think she writes down her name and her number. Mm-hmm. And so it's easier for him to figure out who she is. I can't remember if he writes down his name and his number or just his name. But basically, when she finally gets a hold of that $5 bill at the end, she's just using his name to look him up and immediately goes to his address. You're telling me that in a city of over 8 million people, there's only one Jonathan Traeger? Um, and they immediately took him to the correct address. It's not possible that it could have been an old address that she ended up at. Or I, I guess I'm just saying that like, and the same thing when he was like, she has, they both have very common names. And just the thought that that's how they would locate the other person just seems a little improbable to me. All right. I mean, that is fair. Especially, um, especially when social media did not exist. I, I will say that the only time I've heard the, the name Traeger has involved a grill, Rob Lowe on Parks and Recs in this movie. So so I, I'm going to give the... So I, I guess that's me agreeing with you or, I, or disagreeing with... I don't know. Remember when we were good at this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just... And that's okay. Like, in the grand scheme of things, it's a romantic comedy. Like, no, it's not supposed to make sense. But it's just one of those things I noticed. At, you know, when she was in the, uh, the um, cab at the end calling information, mm. it takes her straight to his apartment. I'm just like, there's no way. Well, I think it's maybe just the writer keeping this to a tight 90 pages. Oh, that's definitely what it is. And I'm not faulting the film for it. It's just, it, it's just something that struck me. Yeah. All right. Well, But would this movie, would this story be as interesting to you if, Let's ask the Bill Simmons question if they stretched it out to a ten episode Netflix series. Like how much yes. of that how much of that is them going to the wrong person? Well, and that's one of those things. Like when he was first searching out who she was, mm-hmm. um that made more sense to me. Like all the steps he had to go through to try and figure out who she was made a little bit more sense because it was it was more difficult. Like it was a trail. And then by the time they got to her figuring out who he was, it was just like instantaneous. And, you know, when you're trying to when you're trying to do a film in 90 minutes, like obviously that that kind of thing is going to happen. But I guess I just wish they would have split that a little bit more evenly. 
on yeah. the other hand, I think it kind of makes sense that. Well, and also, um, to kind of balance on that, they've been looking, you know, seven years have passed since the meet cute. Who's to say both of them haven't had that journey of, you know, her finding the wrong Jonathan and him, you know, just still looking for that book. I mean, it's like days before his wedding and he's still looking for that book to which as the man here, allegedly, um, why would you get engaged if you're still looking for this one person out there? He's still looking for the Sarah, like every chance he gets, he's looking at, you know, books, the street vendor is selling. Why, why, if you're in love with this one person, why are you still looking for this person that you met one time? I think that, like, all romantic comedies where you um, you have to have the, like... You have to have the obstruction, right? You have to have that, and it's always a person. You have to have that thing that gets in the way of the two leads getting together. Um, I think it's because, obviously, the practical side of him... Who's like, I met this incredible woman, I do I do love her, I do care for her, we should get married. It's fighting with the side of him that, like, really wants to go after this other woman. But it's not practical, right? He doesn't know who she, who, like, he doesn't really know who she is. He doesn't know where she lives. He doesn't know how to find her. So he's like, I really need to move on with my life and live it. I, those, I love that about this film. Those two sides of himself are fighting with each other. And I do actually think, to a degree, it does make sense that they focused more on him trying to find her. Because mm. for her, it was all about fate. Like, yeah. she's the one that came up with the serendipity idea. So I think that she she may not necessarily have really been looking for him. I think she was more just hoping that it was going to fall into her lap. Yeah. And also, if we focus more on her side of it, we would have gotten more Lars, and I would have thrown a bucket of popcorn at my TV. Absolutely, because, hands down because, the worst character in this film. Yeah, and, and it's nothing against John Corbett. John Corbett is usually really good. Like um, my big fat Greek wedding, the fir- at least the first one, he's fantastic. I mean, and we've reviewed him in something we did, and he was all right. But it's just he's the character he is forced to play here is equally self absorbed and. Yeah, and just her, yeah, like, and nothing against world musicians. I mean, I I like a few of them myself, but he is like the stereotype of you know what people think world music is. And I just and also how is he wonder... so popular? Well, oh wait, right, two thousand three. <laughs> Never mind, I forgot. <laughs> but it makes you wonder, like, how in the world did she end up with him? Like, some yeah. sometimes it kind of bugs me. In these type of films, when they make the person that the, you know, the main character is, the love interest is with, be truly awful, because mm-hmm. then it makes you question that person. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you with them? Whereas John Cusack's fiance wasn't actually that bad. No. Like, um, he was a perfectly fine person, very nice. He just wasn't in love with her. So you kind of yeah. end up feeling sorry for her, but you you get where he's coming from. That's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Hallie, the worst thing that she does in this movie is and goes and yells at the superintendent. And I'm sorry, I think she was right there because if you know she's been living there and that smoke alarm goes off all the time, someone needs to fix that. <laughs> right. 
No, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with her, and I think that's fine, whereas yeah. John Corbett's character, like, you don't feel bad for him at all. No, and I'm kind of glad in a way that, you know, as it gets towards the end and he does call off the wedding, you don't see her anymore, you know, because I don't think we could still root for him if we saw her very clearly brokenhearted and devastated, because you know right? She she's at a bar right there. You know, as they're having their moment, you know, reconnecting at the end, she's at a bar somewhere with his face on a dartboard and her fa- and her father is hitting bullseyes left and right. And I mean, the the fact is, she has every right to be angry because it's not about as much as I love John Cusack's character. Mm-hmm. It's not about the fact that he didn't he wasn't in love with her, so he didn't want to be with her that, you know, that's fine. That he waited so long to figure it out. Yeah, well, and also, if he's still in love with this one person, it, it, it almost feels like he was settling for her. Right. Like, leave it to, leave it to Jeremy Piven to be the, like, moral conscience <laughs> of, the, of the film. Yeah, like, how, <laughs> how fucked up is your screenplay? Whatever. The moral compass of your film is Jeremy Piven. <laughs> Who asked to point out to him that maybe if you fly across the country the night before your wedding to find another woman, it's possible that it's because you don't want to be getting married. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, I'm dying. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, so, some guys just, you know, have the bachelor party and sleep with the hooker that someone hired. No, he's getting on a plane. And you're rooting for him. 100%. I almost want to write the uh, the version of this about Hallie's character and what Romant- she's going through. <laughs> Romantic comedies have a distinct lack of, of conscience. Like they they definitely make you do things like root for people that while they may not be terrible people are definitely making mm-hmm. life choices that negatively impact other people with yeah. usually very little regard for how other people are being treated. Yeah, <laughs> and they make may- you root for them. Which brings me back back to uh, one of my favorite rom-coms, When Harry Met Sally. Because at certain points, they're trying to fix, uh, like, Harry and Sally are trying to fix uh, each other up with their friend, and the friends and end up falling in love. And even go so far as to say, like, I am so glad I'm not like them. Eugene Levy appears in this movie as the Bloomingdale's... Uh, Clerk, who ends up sort of helping out. But I have to say, all three times I did try to watch this movie, that was maybe the most delightful moment. And I I don't know if it's just because (laughs) I love Eugene Levy that much, or if the scene was just that good, or both. Probably both. Like, I, I, I think this film has a great opener. And it's a phenomenal way to introduce you to these two characters. And, Mm. I mean, I get they're both in relationships, but it's 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 very much a meet cute and I have to say I think it does an excellent job of tying the the point of the film and the name of the film and the whole purpose behind it you know with the shop like mm-hmm. I'm trying to think about the best way to phrase this but the whole film makes sense with the title I mean yeah it does uh, but 
when I think to moments that I like in this movie, and that might be a good uh, nudge into segues, but like after the first date, in they're in that elevator race to try to find each other, where it almost was, you know, instantly meant to be, and then we get the seven year gap. Right. Oh, and so I, I have to say, I'm not like I'm not the biggest fan of uh, like public moments or when random strangers get involved in these films, but I absolutely the, love, love it when everyone is looking for her and when yeah. he meets all the random people in the elevator and they're looking for her also. I just think that was a perfect moment. And, and how it, like more and more people are on board with this crazy idea from right. floor to floor. Like every time he gets off on a new floor, there's more people. Yeah, yeah. I know. I absolutely think, um, I think it's genius. And in some interest in some small way i think one of the things the film was kind of pointing out too because if you think about it right her whole concept was well obviously we're not meant to be together you know didn't it didn't work out we didn't get off on the same floor but i don't think she accounted for the whole timing thing like for whatever reason their timing was wrong until the end of the film so i think that um i think that's one of the things one last thing I want to talk about. I didn't want to talk about Jeremy Piven's character, which gave, I think, possibly right. one of the greatest best man speeches. It, it, that, I, I had that for later. <laughs> and now I'm um, going to be scrambling a little bit. But I just kind of love it. Like, I will say, okay, I don't know if this is a product of, like, um, I don't know. People will probably blame it on different things. But I think generally this is the way it goes. A lot of times men have... In romantic comedies, men have the better sidekicks. And I know it's a terrible way to, to put them, but that's then the female. Like, sometimes sometimes women will get really, really good female relationships. And I will say, they're better then, now than they probably were in the 90s yeah. and early 2000s. But, and then sometimes you get Molly Shannon. Right. Um, who, I don't dislike her. I, like, I actually think she's very capable of being really good. I mean, I used to love her on SNL, but... In this movie, it's just like, oh, you're here to get hit with a golf ball, and you know, she's that's she's about it. largely irrelevant. Yeah, like, and Jeremy Piven's character does, you know, does a lot to move the story forward, and, <clears throat> and the film spends a she, lot of time actually building him and John Cusack's relationship. And with this one, it's just like Kate Beckinsale said, "Well, if he gets one, I get one too," and just randomly grabbed. Right. I mean, and uh, even though our, I know this show is supposed to focus more on the on the women, this movie really focuses more on the male side because, like you said, there is more to Jeremy Piven and the John Cusack side of things than there is anywhere on Kate Beckinsale's side or Molly Shannon's side. Correct. And, it, it was just and way it, less it almost makes yeah, it makes it almost makes that to be that trope of. Kate Beckinsale is a prize to be won and not someone on their own journey. I mean, they tried, but not well. Um, I do think that is a good segue into our um, into our segments. So mm-hmm. I don't have like a creepy or romantic moment. Um, do you have a best line, worst line? Well, um, I had a couple actually of best lines. Um, the the best man speech, which does open this episode, I've already cut that segment. Uh, to have you know a section of that speech as the uh, opener, but 
I mean, what a great way to bring Jeremy Piven into this movie. And he says, this one's climbing the charts. I'm like, that is a great line. And also, and Luke is, is an acceptable answer for best movie of all time. I personally disagree, but it is a great movie. Anything that he says is on my, um, on my best line track. I also love his, what was going to be his best man speech, which comes in the form of an obituary. Mm-hmm. I just think that was very um, on brand. Also, uh, things this movie got wrong, uh, how obituaries are written, because um, as someone that does that sometimes, uh, nine out of ten of them come from the funeral home. <laughs> There's no writing for him to do. It's him saving <laughs> a file. But that's just me you know, projecting my own life onto Jeremy <laughs> Piven. Oh, and um, I, I had a worse line, and it's a Molly Shannon line. And it's after they've quickly established that uh, Kate Beckinsale is not her uh, partner. And she yells at her as she's getting on the eleva- elevator. Goodbye, my lesbian lady lover. Yes, yes. Um, it's, like, I don't... <laughs> it's like, is it in Molly Shannon's contract that you have to write her terrible dialogue? Can you just not give her something decent to work with? Yeah, that was really, um, really poor. <laughs> Um, I don't really have anything in particular other than basically anything John Corbett says the whole movie. Yeah. And, uh, and let me point out, I, I've bashed Corbett a little bit in this episode, not as much as his character probably deserves. And my worst line still went to Molly Shannon. All right. Um, okay. So on to uh, the likes and dislikes portion of the episode. Um, let's start with you. What did you like about the film that we haven't already talked about? That we haven't already talked about. I I I do. Uh, oh, this could have also qualified as a great as a best line. Uh, whenever uh, Cusack is in uh, Piven's office and, and uh, you know asking for help, you know finding and he and Piven is just like you know despite what a lot of people may may think about the New York Times, we're not omniscient. I, I need a a name, a social security <laughs> number, something. But I, I love that. But I also loved um, whenever he's got everyone on board with this search and like they're in the uh, the Bloomingdale's warehouse with with uh, Eugene Levy looking for <laughs> her application. And um, this is a weird one, but I kind of loved that super uh, gauche uh, golf resort that they were at where it's just like. A mansion that you can just hit golf balls off of multiple floors. I'm like, I'm like, that's kind of cool. And I don't even really like golf. What about you? Um, it's it's hard to narrow it down to a few things. Um, obviously, I loved all the stuff involving their search for her, and it introduced all these like little side characters, which I really loved. Oh, the the old roommate, uh, Mignon. Right. Uh, Mr. Minion, Mignon, like the meat. <laughs> Um, and I, I loved anything in the shop, obviously too. I thought that was really great. And it was a, I mean, I don't know if that's where it came from, but I loved that. I loved, I really loved Kate Beckinsale's character. I loved her explanation of what serendipity means. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I loved the time that was spent on, uh, John Cusack and Jeremy Piven's relationship. I thought that was really fun. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I think of all of the uh, Piven Cusack collaborations from over the years, 
I'm still going to put Gross Point Blank as my favorite, but this one may be my next favorite because of how much time they do get to spend together. And at no point are they rolling up the uh, uh, body of a rival hitman and tossing it into a, a furnace to the sound Correct. of 99 loop balloons. Um, and I think the one other thing I like about it, too, is... Um, well, okay, so one of the things I loved was... I love how they did the reveal of her, her name and her number. So yeah. I love that his fiance was paying enough attention that she noticed he always looked for that book. And I just mm-hmm. think... I don't know. I think it was really perfect that she was the one who ended up giving him the book. You're not wrong, even though she basically uh, gave him the gift that ended their relationship. Right. But I don't know. I just don't, I don't know how you could have done that moment any, any better. Yeah. You know, when he gets the book that it's going to happen, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I still think it was perfect. I, I mean, I agree, but at the same time, I am also trying to remember Actually, I'm trying to not remember that there's a real, there's a human being attached on the other other end of this that's getting royally screwed. Also, how is she just now buying him a copy of Love in the Time of of Cholera? That seems like a first anniversary kind of (laughs) gift. Because they've been together a while, right? Right. I remember a relationship I was in. We hadn't even hit the year mark, and I had gotten her copies of two movies that, you know, she lost or had to get rid of before she you know moved back home and i'm just like i'm storing this shit for later (laughs) so um dislike am i allowed to just say uh john corbett and molly shannon and we call it a day i mean yes that's where i'm at i mean they're they are the weakest parts of this so much that i almost i also kind of want to throw the screenplay under the bus because this needed a second, third, or fifth pass. Because I think there is a very strong movie here that could have made both of those two characters better. Totally agree. Yeah. I also am remembering that we are talking about a movie from 2003. And... Yeah. No, I'm still going to stand on that, on that hill. Because, you know, there were, there were you know... Very strong uh, screenplays written in 2001 or 2003. Whenever the hell this movie came out. Um, this script could have been better. Is the hell I'm going to die. <laughs> Literally the only thing I have to add to that is that um, I didn't love the... Um, I don't even know what you want to call it. Because it is a trope. But that... Um, the misunderstanding... Right. So like every mm-hmm. every romantic comedy has a misunderstanding that happens that causes the the two leads um, to either separate if they're together or or create some kind of obstacle. This one, I think, was particularly poorly done because the way it was filmed, I understand that was her house, but that woman looked nothing like her. Oh, yeah. I, like on I, I'm not going to you could have you could have told that that was not like you he should have been able to tell that wasn't her yeah also i'm not gonna lie this is how bad i i I feel bad for this but as you were like the misunderstanding i'm going what did i miss because i don't know what she's talking about and then as you finish your sentence i was like oh that i could have gotten away with that (laughs) i'm like yeah yeah also can Um, we talk about how uh mostly trash the soundtrack to this movie is Yes. It's, it's, 
it, it was such a letdown. I mean, let, make Cusack, anytime you work with Cusack, make him your music supervisor. He's going to have better taste than, you know, some random intern at Miramax. Yeah, but the, I mean, that's honestly, that's really the only complaints I had. So is it big question time? Question. It's big question time. All right. Is if it's time in 2021. Oh, wow. So, John, did you survive the final movie of 2021? I don't know. <laughs> and I say, and, and, and I mean that not as a joke. I literally don't know because, like I said, there is a great movie in here, and then there is a whole bunch of stuff that my brain rejected. So I'm going to air, and Eugene Levy is great, and then there's literally everything else. So that's kind of where I'm landing. And I and I really wanted to to love this one because Cusack for a large chunk of my life was my boy. So maybe Hulu will take this and uh, do with what they did with uh, High Fidelity and give us you know a one season, eight episode remake. Maybe with Zoe Kravitz. I would not be she's mad not been, that. No, I would I would not be too. It's just if you're gonna do that, don't give us a third of the story. Just do the whole thing. I never got season two and three of uh, High Fidelity. We, I just have to be with the season I got and the playlist that I refuse to take off of my Spotify. And just just for consistency, I, I don't think it's a mystery when we ask, Sammy, did you survive? <laughs> yes, I did. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's really, there's really nothing else to say. Um, yeah. I, I'm a fan of this movie. I'm, it's been a long time since I've seen it. But it was a reminder that it needs to go back on my watch every once in a while list. So yeah, it's not going to be on my uh, every year list. But I can't be mad at this one. I just I I, I kind of wish I I'm not angry enough at it to you know words are hard. <laughs> Before we get into something else, I got a question for you. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug on this episode? Should should I not make promises I can't keep? Probably not, but then again. Yeah, we're going to try to be better. Um, I do want to throw a couple shout-outs because I'm getting close to my year-end list. And uh, part of our first episode of 2022 might be my top 20 films of 2021 for the four people listening to the show that aren't on my Facebook. But um, I, I am trying to scramble at the last minute to catch up on some stuff. And... It, in the last 24 hours, I've seen both Tick, Tick, Boom, which is Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, directorial debut uh, of Jonathan Larson's uh, one-man show that he did before he wrote Rent. Uh, and it's got um, everyone's third favorite Spider-Man in it, <coughs> Andrew Garfield, who, had never, uh, who was not a trained singer until this movie, and he trained for a year to get his voice. But it was... Fantastic. And actually, uh, the discussion of the misunderstanding triggered something in my brain because this movie also has uh, a moment where two people should talk to each other like adults. And I do think one person is trying, but he turns it into a song in the show. And it's both heartbreaking and hilarious at the same time. So huge recommend. And also, I did check out today uh, Steven Spielberg's Martin Scorsese's West Side Story. Still going to make that joke. Um, I actually am not a huge West Side Story fan. I don't like the movie. Um, I didn't care for the stage show. Uh, I unfortunately did not get to see our 
local theaters uh, production of it. And that was just because it was just not the universe was not allowing me to, you know, see that performance. I heard it was really good. And also, I'm one of those people that I know you're you're a huge Spielberg fan. I think his last truly great movie was uh, Munich, which is back in like 2005. I mean, I'm not saying everything he's made since has been garbage, but none of it was just truly great to me. And so you take a musical I didn't care for with a director who I haven't, I think has been just kind of coasting for 15 years and holy shit, he made a fantastic movie. It's like top 10 of the year worthy. And the only downside to that movie is Baby Driver. No, don't say it isn't so. Well, he's he's got a weak voice. He's not because everyone else in that show has clearly had Broadway training, and he is he's not Broadway trained, and so he is the weakest part. I mean, he's not bad. In it. Well, because I've heard him sing before, and he's not a bad singer at all. No, I mean, he, he can sing. It's just everyone else around him is just, like, dancing and singing circles around him, including 90-year-old Rita Moreno, who uh, they made her the Doc character in this, in, in this version. And there are a lot of changes from the 60s version to this version, and I love every single one of them. Like, I had the best time with this movie. Well, um... Stay tuned for the next episode where John and Sammy spend the entire time arguing about that statement because she's a huge Baby Driver fan. Oh, I love Baby Driver, the movie. I'm not the world's biggest Anson Elgort fan, oh, but gosh, I thought he was I great am. in the, Well, I mean, I thought he was good in that, and I thought he was good in Fault in Our Stars. And also, he, he may or may not have been a bad boy. You know, at least he didn't threaten to eat people like uh, um, your boy Army Hammer, who... Disney and Fox are trying desperately to not uh, show him in any of the trailers for Death on the Nile. So, that anyway. So, I've got another question for you. I have been keeping a uh, list of every show that we have done uh, for this for this year for this for this season, if you will. Because this is technically our second season. And did you get the list? I did. Okay. So I have two big questions for you. What was your favorite movie that we that we did an episode on that you hadn't seen before? Okay, that I hadn't seen before? I'm going to have to break this down, actually, into two separate things, I think. Okay. Um, best film? Probably Major League. Really? Yeah, I think so. Now, most, possibly most enjoyed, mm-hmm. might actually have to be Showgirls. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, that was I mean, just, that was a fun time. Of all Showgirls. The, like, what? Yeah, because I hadn't seen that movie before we, d- we did it, and... As I kind of scroll through most of the movies that you picked, there are a lot of um, ones that, you know, I could have gone either way. And I, I, you know, maybe Brothers as well. Because I, I think I did say I liked Brothers a little better than Stop Loss. <clears throat> but I don't know. There was something about Stop Loss that when we did the episode, it was really cool getting to 
see something that meant maybe as much to you as Hedwig the week before that we had done meant to me. And then, of course, I'm going to throw One Night in Miami in there as uh, one of the ones I picked because that movie is still fantastic. But Oh, shoot. I forgot about that. Um, yeah. yeah that, that has to go towards the top of the list also. I completely yeah. forgot about that. That makes right. the place of Major League, actually. <laughs> All right. So what was the episode? You, what was the movie you hated watching the most? Okay. <clears throat> it's a fight between... Um, Tammy and the T-Rex and polyester. I am shocked. <laughs> I, I I almost took those two off the table just to get just to get a different answer, but well, I mean, hold on, we but, can make that ha- we can make that happen. Um, no, no, I mean, no, no, it's it's fair, it's fair. I mean, um, those are the two you referenced the the most, and my God, I made a reference to Safe Haven in this episode, so yeah. Oh my gosh, Boogie Nights should be up there too. Um, you hated Boogie Nights? No, 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 no. With love. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, the only other really, I mean, the only contenders I'm gonna have for that, like, gosh, I had to do my top five. Um, probably a fantastic woman might be up there. But oh not, yeah. I, let me say this. I'm not gonna. I'm the only reason I'm not putting it in there is because I can actually credit how well that movie was made. Oh, okay. So you're you're talking about your the ones that you liked watching the least, right? I can credit how well that movie was made. It was just such a tough watch. Yeah. And Cody, if you're listening, which you probably are, and I know that this is gonna upset you, but Wanda definitely has to be in the running. <laughs> I'm sorry. And the only thing uh, that they bound for me was Joey Pants. Still don't get the Gina G the Gina G hate, but anyway, so. For me, looking through the list, I survived a whole lot. We didn't even cover the worst of the three uh, to all the boys films this year. <laughs> right. Um, I, I think maybe the one-two punch of Remember Me and Kissing Booth 2 was just like, <laughs> not my jam. Like, I mean, I obviously liked Wanda and I liked it a lot more than you did. And I didn't like it as much as Cody did. But I totally get why that's not one you liked. But just, I don't know. Those two back-to-back looking at the list. And then you weren't even there for your malignant punishment. (laughs) Uh, It's true. Yeah, you and your job or whatever your excuse was that week. It was no excuse. You were just hiding. All right. Well, well, it's been a fun season. And, uh, you know, I'm... Uh, maybe we can ask this question of Joseph next week whenever he's back on. Uh, hopefully he's back on because he kind of suggested our next movie, which is my segue into saying next week we're going to talk about The Edge of Seventeen, our first film of 2022. And we're doing the one with Woody Harrelson and not the LGBT one uh, because the, the one with Woody Harrelson falls into our categories and is streaming somewhere I can find it. All right. So yeah. Thank you everyone so much for listening. It's been a year. And it has been. we look forward to seeing you next year or well until then next listeners, uh, we look forward to a new season with you and uh, please be sure to tell your friends about us. Uh, share us with a friend and uh, uh, you know, we got a whole whole other year 
of us threatening to what make uh, Sammy watch Sleepaway Camp two and three. <laughs> <laughs> so until. Surviving Chick Flicks is created and hosted by John Baggett and Samantha McDaniel. Our audio engineer and editor is Cody McLean. For an ad-free version of the show, please visit patreon.com slash survivingchickflicks, where $5 a month gets you an ad-free version of the show, as well as our manly movie of the month. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. All opinions are that of the hosts, and no copyright infringements are intended. Surviving Chick Flicks is a Circle of Jug production, all rights reserved. All right, you horrible little man. I bought the entire spring line, okay? You happy? Now look her up. I already did. It was a dead account. There's no information on our computers. You give me Hey, chase me. Chase you? What? Are you insane? Don't cross the line! You cross the line! Stop saying that, or I will cut you!